0: From coast to coast, Agency Unfiltered comes home to Boston, Massachusetts. In the final episode of our on the road season, we visit Tribal Vision. Damien Cabral, partner and co-founder of Tribal Vision, shares with us a few programs they rolled out to help improve their profitability. Specifically, Damien shares how they've created formalized career paths to improve employee retention, how they've built an expansive freelancer partner network for low cost delivery, and how they introduced a lower tiered retainer price point to help combat client churn rates. Let's jump in. Damien, thank you so much for joining us on Unfiltered. Uh, We're happy to have you. Sure. Happy to be here. Yeah, Yeah. man. Uh, And obviously we're here in the Travel Vision offices, so it's exciting uh, to be able to visit you guys and and see what you're working on. I think that the best place to start, obviously we were talking before um, we started this, but Travel Vision has been intentional with some of the processes and plays you have put into practice to help improve profit uh, for the the agency, and so um, I'll be interested to unpack that a little bit and maybe the best place to start would be um, just talking through some of the investments you've made with like career growth and career pathing uh, for the team. So why don't you
1: just explain kind of what that looks like and, and how you shaped it. Sure, and you know that's one of those things where you're constantly retooling it and probably Never done because every time you get to that next level, then you got to start over again and retool what you've retooled three years That's ago. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, the first few years, you're just trying to get a few clients, hawk your wares, figure out what the heck you're doing. No one's too worried about titles or career growth or anything like that. Sure, yeah. Pretty much your review looked like, hey, let's sit down. Hey, yeah, you're doing a good job. You can't yell at this person at, like <laughs> that. Like, you know, and just back to doing the work. Right. And then eventually you got to grow up because. You've got a lot more people you're got to be focused on retaining those people you've invested so much time in and you've got to add some actual process so I mean with us right now we're at about 72 73 people at any given time mm-hmm. um, so we've probably had to go through three or four of these different iterations where mm-hmm. we had a baseline of you know these are the roles these are the job descriptions this is an a t- typical account setup. Mm-hmm and then because the work got more complex or the organization got more complex or people were looking at us saying like hey what's my next step then we had to go back to the drawing board and say okay yeah we we do have to actually take this seriously sit down figure it out and figure out what that career progression looks like so up until now it's been fairly simple um, because you know we started with marketing associate senior associate marketing manager and at you know the bottom of that band you're doing more of the work the middle you're doing some you're managing some the top you were doing more managing as things have gotten more complex and we've got more clients under each person's umbrella we've really had to unpack what those look like Mm -hmm. and you know try to create something one that aligns our interests with the clients but two also create something exciting for the employees and I I think you know that's the most difficult part of the balance is looking at what you think the market needs, looking at what the employees want, and trying to blend those two to come up with something that makes sense for the business, but also makes sense for the employees.
0: I mean, the balance can be difficult, right, because you want to obviously do right by the customer, always, right, that goes without saying, but at the same time, too, you want to build a setup where any given employee on any given day can say, hey, yes, like I see myself here long-term, and here's like the clear-cut path for me to grow, um, myself, my career, right? just contextually, um, this comes up a lot with a number of different agencies. Everyone has their own perspective. Do you tend to like pod your teams? Do you kind of like round robin uh, assign based on client needs? Like, how do you actually build um, delivery teams for for particular? Clients? So we're
1: in the middle of actually transitioning everything that we've had in the past. So we've done some minor updates in the past, but right now we have two big initiatives going on. Mm. Uh, one is in the past there were client teams that were deployed and it was completely a cross-functional team. So you could have a marketing manager with potentially five different managers above them Mm. based on how the clients were assigned and how when they were ready to get new clients and everything just like bandwidth right? capacity just yeah. it was completely based on capacity and when they were ready for the next account and filling those slots hmm. so one thing we've really been working on right now is not coming up with pure pods where you only have one manager but really trying to take that complexity and make it less complex and create group staffing so that's really where we're looking at saying okay if you had the potential as a senior marketing manager to be working with eight different marketing managers a year ago, how can we increase the density of managers you have Mm. where you're not just with one or two, but there's some sharing and matrixed organization, but it's a lot more dense, so it's easier for you to have less conversations about the same amount of accounts. Mm. That makes sense.
0: Um, You mentioned, I think, right at the top of the the episode here, you said that career pathing, like growth opportunities for employees, it's always an iterative process, right? It's never settling and just continually to improve that. Um, based on where you are today Mm -hmm. has there been anything that you tested tried uh, but realized you had to pivot or go a different way basically I'm asking was there like um, something that didn't work out as well as you anticipated that forced you to pivot or or reimagine
1: it yeah one of the biggest pivots probably happened year three for us um, when we were originally developed the concept you know the thought behind tribal vision was before we get to any tactics we're starting with a strategy Mm. so initially we had a strategy team where the thought was, hey, that's a very unique skill set. Hey, that's something some people are interested in. Something, some a piece that others are not interested mm-hmm.
0: in. Strategy being like the statement of work
1: or like the proposal, kind of the, the the documentation of your roadmap, like yeah. Strategy being a actual marketing plan deliverable delivered to the client. Got it. So we initially set it up where a separate team would create the marketing plan and then would hand it off to an implementation team to get, then go and do. Cause on paper we were like okay, it's a different skill set for someone building marketing plans from actually running project management and implementing, right? Yeah, sure. So that's how we initially had it set up and throughout the years we just had so much friction actually trying to make that work because you know, the strategy team would build something and then the implementation team would have to then execute on it and they might not agree with that initial mm-hmm. vision. So that was a, a friction point internally between the employees. Um, secondly, it was a headache for some of the clients because from their perspective, and it it makes sense when you say it now, but we didn't see it back then, they just spent all this time teaching the strategy team about their business, doing the discovery, really doing a deep dive. We had an internal meeting to try to transition a lot of that knowledge, but you're never gonna get it at the same level as the people who ran the mm-hmm. initial discovery. Mm-hmm. So then the client was frustrated that they had to teach a whole new team everything about their business that they just They're doing the, the work twice, right? Yep. And I just built all this trust with person A, and right. now you're telling me there's a whole
0: new team coming in. So yeah, exactly. You saw the friction there, yeah. So,
1: so we blew it up, we said, you know, we still believe strategy is a difficult thing and a unique skill set but we're just gonna build more blended teams with some people with the strategic chops and mm-hmm. some people with the implementation chops and have the same client the same team come in and write the marketing plan that's delivering the marketing plan for consistent consistency with delivering the work but also to alleviate that headache with the, the client so that was I think a great example Perfect of example, like, yeah hey the best plans you know don't survive the field sometimes mm-hmm. and, and that's You know, that's part of owning an agency is you get good by bumping your head a whole bunch of times and hopefully being flexible enough to make changes based on what your employees are telling you and what the market's telling you.
0: Very cool. Um, If I'm an agency that is currently at a place where maybe Travel Vision was in years past, uh, I want to be more prescriptive and like outline and communicate and build these career paths, growth opportunities for my employees. Um, what would be your recommendations on where and how to get started, who should I involve in those decisions? Um, So kind of like outline that process um, so I can go home and and do it for my team.
1: Yeah I'd say it's good before just entering one of those brainstorming sessions with the greater team to put in some pre-thought, think about initially how you would set this thing up so it it gets the team to a place where they can react to something versus just starting with a blank canvas. Mm. And then also list out, these are the areas that I have questions on that I do want you guys to weigh in on. Mm. So you have to involve the team, but you can't just all roll up into a, a room, whiteboard it, and start from scratch. Sure. That's, that's usually where a lot of time is wasted. And also the team doesn't know what the barriers are, right? So you as a leader, you need to come into those meetings and say, hey, these are the things that are my non-negotiables, this is my initial vision, and this is the areas I'm I'm willing to negotiate and I want to hear, and these are the things I have no idea on. And show some humbleness and say like I really this need to. This is where help. your contribution is gonna uh, be the most valuable. Exactly. And and let them know, like, you know, what tier decision is this? Is this a tier three decision where we're all gonna vote and whatever whatever comes out of it we're gonna go with? Mm. Is this a tier two decision where I'm gonna have your input, but ultimately I'm gonna be making the final decision. And you know, tier one decisions wouldn't be appropriate in this, but this is this is what I'm doing, get on sure. board. Yeah. This is what
0: we're doing. Do you organize I don't mean to bring us on a rabbit hole here, but do you organize right. most of the can you organize questions or problems or
1: decisions in that three tiered framework? Is it do you guys lean on that? That's or? something I've learned I've had to do more in the past, and that's you know, typically friction with clients and with employees is a communication problem, sure. right? Yeah. So, one thing I've learned over the years is when you're soliciting feedback, you need to let people know what type of what their level of involvement is and who's going to make the final decision. Sure, right. And and it you know, it differs, yeah. right? So, you know, set okay. the stage from the start so everyone's on the same page when the
0: decision has to be made at the as an outcome. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Um, You mentioned your team is what, 72, 73 people, but uh, I've been led to believe as well that you also have a pretty extensive freelancer partner network that you lean on. Um, I would imagine that involving that group of partners, freelancers helps, again, with profitability to some degree. So what's the decision-making process there? How'd you build that network? Mm -hmm. I'd be interested to learn how you use freelancers more for Yeah, and that's
1: a core to our model because from the beginning, our model's different than most traditional agencies where we actually outsource 100% of design, 100% of coding, 100% of videography.
0: Mm-hmm. So none of those are in-house resources? Not a single employee. Got it. Got it.
1: We'll quarterback it for the pro- for the client so it still feels like a typical agency interaction from mm-hmm. a client perspective, but 100% of those have been outsourced from the beginning because our argument when pitching the client is, hey, if we don't have those guys on our staff, then we don't feel like we need to sell you more design work or we don't feel like we need to sell you a bigger website. We're gonna write a prescription for what you actually need Hmm. and then it feels like we're both on the same side of the table at that point. And Um, so clients are pretty open to that? Clients love that. Yeah, do they have direct communication to the freelancer network? Depends on the complexity of the situation or the the type of client we're dealing with. Um, Usually we wanna manage most of that communication, but if there's a really good reason to have one of the developers jump on the phone with their IT department, we're not gonna hide them in the background. But because (laughs) that is how we actually established our model, from day one we had to really create a process Mm. to vet the research partners, vet them with pilot projects, and then communicate to the team who's good, who's not, what the right fit is, so, yeah. you know, it's been a labor of love. We've got our stable <laughs> of probably 30 partners that we lean on very heavily, where yeah. we almost fill up a full-time job for them with the amount of work that we have going out, but we also can't just rest on those guys, right? We have more clients, we have more people, more demands, and, you know, the marketing world is changing, so we actually have a committee here one of their jobs is to, on a regular basis, interview new partners, Mm. look at their work, find out what their pricing looks like, onboard them with NDAs and everything else, and then encourage the team, let them know, hey, these are the new guys, these are the fits. Here's what they specialize in, here's where they can help give them a pilot project, and then let the rest of us know how that went.
0: So where does uh, the team go to research, like, or find new partners that they wanna reach out to or talk to?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of LinkedIn, a lot of our natural networks, but also the fibers and the elances and mm-hmm. places like mm-hmm. that. And
0: then what does the actual, you mentioned like pilot projects, is there any process around exactly like, hey, here are our guidelines, here are our requirements style guidelines, Like, what does that yeah. vetting or qualification process look like to say like, yes, they you know, we deem them, uh, you know, ready to take on projects for the whole yeah, team.
1: Tip, typically we're looking at their portfolio on their website ahead of time. If they have reviews online, we're reading through those. Mm. There's an initial uh, scanning call where we have a conversation with them, see what they're all about, see what kind of vibe we're getting from them, asking preliminary pricing questions, those sorts of things. Then we'll have them sign an NDA. And then after that, we'll write them up, put them in our partner database on Kalo, where it's you know, fully searchable for the team. They can easily find all the contractors and what they specialize on. Mm. And then we're trying to give them a small pilot project. So if it's a designer, it's, hey, here's five cell sheets, fixed bid, you know. Can but you it do is it? like actual client-facing it's work. It's client-facing yeah, Small work. stakes, low stakes. Exactly, and then if they do well on that, then, you know, they're sent up the flagpole, the whole team knows this is a great new guy or gal, we should use them, and this is my experience mm. to date. And then they get a lot busier.
0: Do you, tell? how often do like, issues or friction come up like uh, required, like around your timelines when you need deliverables like do you ever have any communication issues with folks in this partner network how do you kind of navigate those conversations
1: that's that's the life we live right so client management you know expectation management hopefully we've navigated some of that from doing this for almost 10 years to know like hey when we're scoping a project make sure we ask the client x y and z Mm -hmm. because this bit us these many times and um, you know, like anything, things are gonna come up. So it's I think it's just having an open line of communication with the partner. When there is a dispute about pay or about timelines or anything like that, just being reasonable. I mean, being in client services, we know how it is um, when you have a bad client, when they're coming at you and being unreasonable mm-hmm. and just trying to squeeze everything you can out of them. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. We pay people on time. When there is an issue, we're reasonable you know, is this an instance where we should eat the difference, is this an issue where we should split the difference, mm. you know, is there, can we make it up to them in the future where if they, you know, are good partners right now and put in a little extra work, we'll try to make sure they're on a really good project next. So just. Treat treat them people how you wanna be treated.
0: It's a good point, right? Like where can we just make sure that there's always goodwill and we're using good judgment from the client's perspective? Because yeah. okay, if a freelancer isn't doing their duties, like yeah, that might burn the travel vision team. Mm-hmm. But you also have to think it's at the end of the day gonna burn the, the client, right? So you yeah. can hey, where do we to your point, where do we eat the difference? How can we rectify? But yeah. you're always just again putting the, the customer first, it sounds like, yeah. Yeah.
1: And like anything, you know, with employees and with clients you learn a lot of people during the bad times right sure. so everyone's their best self during the good times. Oh, sure. You really learn what someone's made of when you're in the shit. Yeah. So you know there's plenty of partners that we've built so much trust with in the past because you know I can look at them and say hey, listen man you did nothing wrong this is the situation we're in this is the only way we're gonna get paid by that guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna penalize you in any way but whatever you can do to help me out here, be appreciated. Yeah. And the guys who I've been working with for nine years, they know I'm gonna make it up to them. So if they've gotta do some extra work and not charge us more because the client's not gonna pay, they'll do that, but they know, hey, the next time there's a really nice project, it's coming your way, and I don't forget those things. Yeah,
0: reciprocal, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, so if I'm looking to scale my own agency, I, I probably am looking or already working with freelancers, right, and you mentioned a couple examples, design, development. Is there a freelancer or a partner that you use that maybe you didn't anticipate being so valuable, but, like, this type of specialization or project that they work on has become invaluable? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: I'd be interested to hear, like, is there any unique use cases for freelancers that you found to be
1: very valuable? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's the old tried and true and the new stuff that's coming up. The new stuff that's coming up is Amazon. Hmm. So, I mean, all of your, your viewers probably know, like, they're not just taking up a big bite of the e-commerce bucket now, but they're also starting to take up a big chunk of the ad dollars yeah. um, and that's a very specific skill set it's kind of a gold rush right now so it's probably not someone you a have enough work to put on your payroll and b you know even want to think about paying that person full-time because it's, it's similar to when the iPhone first came out how much an app developer costs. Sure. Yeah. And they could tell you it's five hundred dollars an hour and you pay it because it's only Where so many else are you people gonna go? right. who can build an app on an iPhone right now. And that's kind of where Amazon is. I mm. think as time goes on, you'll see some of those fees come down, but it's it's not unreasonable for me to be paying $500 an hour for a contractor. And I have guys on staff who can do some Amazon stuff, but when it becomes, you know, to be a sizable project or a very, a specific question that's above our pay grade, yeah. that, then that's where I'm tapping. those That downs. real like
0: high technical expertise subject yeah. matter, like the pro type questions. Yeah, yeah, those are difficult to
1: find. And the other skill set that we outsource a lot, that is very valuable for us to be able to not have in house, but also for our clients to drive really good work product mm. at a low dollar, are the brochureware WordPress websites. Right, mm. so where we have a few core developers, where our processes, we're going to Work with the client to buy a template. We'll customize the template. This isn't a pure, you know, 100% from scratch design because it's responsive and everything. Right. You know, you're not looking to do anything advanced from an e-commerce perspective. You're looking to tell the world what you do, who you are. Right. And, and some basic know. conversion points. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, we probably pump out 75 of those sites a year. So really? We have a few wow. partners that really have gotten this to be an assembly line and can pump those things out at a, a good cost where there's margin for them. We're not killing them, right? Mm-hmm. Because they've built a process behind it. Um, but also our clients are seeing a lot of value because you know something maybe they got a quote for for 40 grand out in the marketplace, we can do for 15 grand.
0: That's great. So it all, it all comes back to building those strong relationships with the yep. partners that you know do good work, yep. and it's a win-win-win for them, for you, and for the end client, right? Like, yeah,
1: and you gotta you gotta do right every day no matter where you're at, right? So I have some months where you know something happened and cash is a little tight. You have a decision to make then. Are you gonna pay these guys on time, mm-hmm. or are you gonna protect your own interests? And nine out of 10 times we're saying, no, we'll pay them well in advance of us actually getting paid by the client just to make sure you know, if there are those tough times on the other side, they remember those small things right. that you did for no, them. That makes sense.
0: Um, the last thing I do want to cover, um, as we just talked about all these plays, processes to improve uh, the profit margins for, for travel vision. The third piece is this idea, and I don't is it like the maintenance program or maintenance retainers? And yeah. so I don't want to butcher the definition. Explain exactly what that is and kind of what motivated the decision to add in that layer uh, sure. for your service offering.
1: So our model's a little different where we're deploying a four-person team to a standard account at various skill sets. So because of that, I know exactly what my cost is to deploy every team, right? Mm-hmm. So that also meant we had a minimum retainer. And sure. you know, right now it's $8,500. I know what my margin is. Deploying a four-person. Was it always eighty-five hundred? No, it's gone up over the yeah, years. Right, so, yeah. <laughs> so the first. I year... bet a lot of agencies would like to be able to say that eighty-five hundred is their default. I'm yeah, sure it's something yeah. that you ended up growing into. Yeah. No, I mean uh, right now, uh, you know, our first marketing plan ever cost twenty-five hundred dollars. It's not uncommon for us to be charging twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars for oh. that right now. So, like yeah. anything, as you get a bigger client mix and more recurring revenue you can then slowly increase your prices based on having some you know, some comfort knowing your rent's gonna be paid by the last guys. Sure. So yeah. you, your close rate can go down on the new guys. And, yeah. and also you're constantly testing what the market can bear. But yeah, where we are right now, it's $8,500 for a standard team to be deployed to your account. Uh, many accounts are above that, but that's our minimum. Yeah. So because of that, when clients would have conversations with us about decreasing the retainer from a budget perspective or just how much work they need we were pretty rigid in the past we said no we can't you know it just doesn't fit our model and uh, over so the- were you
0: losing so that's the difference between eighty five hundred dollars a month or zero right exactly
1: yeah. yeah and it's cutting your customer lifetime value but right. you know up until that point we said this is our model we're sticking with it you know we know it works and over the past few years we're really trying to take a harder look at it, saying, mm. you know, how can we do this? How can we build something where we could extend our life for these clients, especially the ones that still love us and like our work and are feeling impact from us, but for one reason or another can't afford or don't want to pay that amount anymore. Sure. And that's where we reimagined this with the the maintenance model, where we're saying, Okay, let's build packages that require more time from a lower level resource that's a lower cost resource and less time from a manager. So how are we going to do that? We need to build something that is surrounded around more repeatable process-oriented work and less of the the unique thought process and strategy and all that. So we developed an offering where it could be a lighter touch from a manager and more work Done by the associate and actually cut it in half for the wow. the end up the, the end clients and that's really worked out well. Where you know if you look at our portfolio right now, I have a really decent portion of people in the maintenance program where the clients are paying us for the work less than eighty five hundred dollars a month. That's probably extended our lifetime with sure. them by a year or two, and it also creates a situation where um, you can defend that relationship more because if you, they paused and stopped, there's a higher likelihood that they might go back out to the market if they sure. have a new need, right? They remember you, but maybe they're gonna try someone else where how much easier is it if you have a base retainer or 4K, they've got a, a temporary increased need where, hey, we have a big project, we have a new product we're launching, we're gonna temporarily increase your retainer back up to 10 grand a month for mm. three months and then drop down to the four. So you're
0: pretty fluid in the way folks can navigate between that full retainer if they Absolutely. versus maintenance, yeah. Absolutely. Do you ever, um, how did that change the sales process? Like do you now go to market and lead with the maintenance price, or is it only a downgrade option once they've committed to the minimum agreement at the the default retainer? Yeah,
1: we're gonna feel that situation out based on what the initial budget is for the client. Um, We're not leading with it oftentimes because we wanna protect the main part of our business. Mm -hmm. And also it's not a right fit for the client out of the gate a lot of the time because if you think about it, if you're starting a new marketing program, there's a lot of work up front, and you need a lot of resources front-loaded. You're writing a marketing plan. From the marketing plan, you're standing up all these new initiatives. I might need to bring in HubSpot and build a whole marketing automation platform from scratch for you and overhaul your website. Yeah, sure. That's a lot of hours, and you don't want that to take a whole year. So for you as a client, it makes a lot more sense to have a full team come on in the beginning, stand up all this stuff quickly for you, and then once, A bunch of the sexy new stuff is up and running, and we've got the blueprint. The new foundation is set. Yeah. Then let's talk about calming down the spend, calming down the work, moving more to process-oriented work. But Mm -hmm. it's not a good fit when I'm saying, hey, we got to think big thoughts and stand up this Martech stack to be doing that at a four K a month retainer. Right. Right.
0: What percentage of your client base is now? downgrading to the maintenance piece, like is that, What I'm interested if you have it, what's the percentage there, and is it more or less than you anticipated? Or, you know what I mean?
1: It's more than I anticipated, Mm. um, which is good. It it shows when people were looking to originally give their notice, uh, it wasn't because we were doing bad work, it was more of a budgetary decision. So right now it's probably about 10 to 15% of our total revenue every month, which is huge when you think about what would our revenue have looked like without that ten, Right, if it was, 4000 it would've would've 4, 000 zero became that. zero, yeah, right. Yeah. So it's, I think it's also been exciting for the team to see, you know, we're not just doing the vanilla ice cream version of the model anymore. Mm. Like this is a new career path to our earlier conversation for sure. someone. There is a new division lead for this. Mm. This division can also spread out to do other things. Like before we didn't do project work, all of our clients were retainer based. Mm-hmm this maintenance team has now rebranded the Special Projects team, and in addition to the maintenance work that they're doing, they're also taking more two to three month projects because, hey, we can staff that a little lighter with managers, hey, maybe we have a few few more freelancers involved in sure. that because it's a shorter term gig, but it, it creates a new opportunity to take work that we couldn't take before without breaking the system with how we have the rest of the 85% of the business. No, that's
0: great. So if I'm an agency um, looking to get started with my own maintenance retainer, right? I have my default, but now I'm also exploring like this lightweight maintenance type option. What would be the service delivery options there? Like what do you guys provide
1: for clients at
0: that maintenance level?
1: It's a lot of process oriented work. So Mm. we're doing a lot of email deployals. We're doing a lot of SEO maintenance, right? So SEO, as you know, isn't something you just do once, then you're good, it's more like a mutual fund, you gotta put money into it every single month. So, a lot of email stuff, a lot of um, SEO, AdWords management, paid digital management, those Mm. sorts of things. And one other thing I'd say for the viewers is, make sure you're not just looking at the hours and the type of work, but you're looking at the client management aspect of it. Because, at least for us, the people transitioning from the traditional retainer to the maintenance retainer, they're used to a very high touch service when they're paying a lot of money. You need to reorient them to what are the touch points gonna look like. It's gonna be less frequently,
0: it's gonna probably be lower, lighter on like actual consultancy. Yeah, yeah,
1: you're gonna get your monthly report, we'll do a half hour call to go through that. You know, we'll have a a call maybe once every two weeks instead of multiple every week. You can still call me ad hoc, but you can't do it as much as before. So, and, and that's important because It also helps you sell the value to move them back up to a normal retainer later.
0: They then see the value of having the high touch, high end yeah, right, it makes sense. Yep. Um, And I would assume that you have those expectations clear cut, right, whatever that initial downgrade transition is, like, hey, listen, this is what it means from your uh, consultancy, your touch points, et cetera. Yeah,
1: we can definitely, you know, talk about decreasing your retainer. This is an offering we have. Here's some of the key differences. Here's the value for you at the same time. That's great.
0: Final question, um, ask this to every guest. I definitely didn't tell you this was gonna be a question. Um, So we get the nice candid answer. Uh, What would you say
1: is the weirdest part of agency life? Oh, geez. I'd say the the situations that cross (laughs) your desk every day. So sometimes it's um, bad behavior with a client, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a a situation a client's telling you about. They're just calling you to say, hey, this crazy thing just happened to me. What are we going to do? Mm. Um, but just the unique situations you f- see from an HR perspective internally, from here and from the clients, and just how the world works. So
0: there's an element of like crisis management at times. Yeah. And
1: that's the, yeah, you find that an exciting component. Yeah, I call those the stories that you can... Pull out of your pocket when you retire from agency life, and you're sitting there having a beer with your your past employees. Like you keep a list of those. Like remember the time? Yeah, like, that, right. Like, yeah, that that. Those will the, be the memories that you reminisce on, like yeah. the absolute wilds. Usually, stuff. the the best stories are the worst in the moment. <laughs> that's right.
0: Um, awesome, man. That's all uh, I have for you. I really appreciate you jumping in. Sure. Um, but that's it. This has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered. If you like what you watched, make sure to subscribe to our Agency Unfiltered newsletter which will remind you when the next episode drops, as well as send you a ton of other helpful, strategically curated agency content. You could also subscribe to our channel on YouTube or podcast on SoundCloud. And if you wanna keep the conversation going, tweet me at Kevin underscore Dunn. Remember, keep it unfiltered, stay weird. I'm Kevin Dunn, and I'll see you next time.